know. She did something that I used to make fun of my dad for. <laughs> she made fun of me this morning for something I said, and then her voice cracked, so. <laughs> Good morning. Um, Pastor Brandon is going to be gone for a couple of weeks, so. Um, I'm filling in today, and next week I think Jay Ballard will be here. Uh, but Brandon and his family get to have a couple of weeks away to uh, um, refresh and relax a bit. And so it's good that uh, we as a church can, can allow them to do that. Uh, so that's a good thing. If you have your Bibles this morning, uh, please turn into the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse... 19 through 24 will be our uh, passage today that we'll be looking at. So let's hear from the word of the Lord. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. For you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, this sunny day that we can come and gather together to hear from your word. And Father, I pray that you would use your word in our hearts this morning. Uh, that you are draw our attention to the importance of what you have said. And Father, that you might keep our minds from distractions and uh, things that would keep us from uh, hearing what you have to say to us. We thank you, Father, for, <coughs> for Pastor Brandon and, and his family. We pray that they would have a good time away, Father, and be refreshed. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for your church as we gather to worship you. I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I would like us to look at and consider the example that Paul shows in the text of uh, one who has a shepherd's heart. And that is the title for the sermon today, A Shepherd's Heart. In other words, a man who is called by God to care for and oversee his church. That is, Christ's church, not man's church. And I believe we see this strongly in Paul's words as he uh, has expressed them here uh, to the church at Philippi. And Paul holds the church at Philippi in his heart because they are not only partakers with him in the gospel, but beyond that, they are partners with him in the gospel through their prayers and through their giving to him. And this is a source of great joy for him. As he explained in chapter 1, and, and in his prayers for them, he's full of joy at the work 
of Christ in them. And as we've worked our way through uh, chapters 1 and 2, he's told them of the great work of the gospel in Rome. Even among the whole imperial guard, the gospel is being advanced despite the fact that Paul is in prison. And perhaps more instructive for us is the fact that the gospel is advancing because Paul is in prison. He is rejoicing in being able to be a servant for Christ in his imprisonment. Then Paul reminds them that to follow Christ is to suffer. That's the gig. He said, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So the church should embrace that way of thinking as they live worthy of the gospel. We should embrace that way of thinking. He has exhorted the church to humble living, not having selfish ambition or conceit. The church is to live in such a way as to count other people as more important than themselves. Then, to immediately raise the bar to the highest possible level, Paul hits them with the supreme example of humility in chapter 2. It's Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate, supreme example of humility. Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity, the one the Apostle John called the Word. For in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. In the early part of this text in chapter 2, Paul says of Jesus, by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And all of this, not for lovable, kind, humble people, but for you and for me, his enemies. That is the church's standard for humility. So while we're tempted to evaluate our humility by comparison to other sinners, remember that is not the standard. We fight the daily battle to even humble ourselves before our wives, before your husbands, before our children. Those we love the most. The church's standard is Jesus, who humbled himself to the point of death on a cross for his enemies, and by whose righteous Righteousness through faith, we who were once enemies can now be called friend. And praise God for his grace and his mercy. Paul also reminds the church that it is God who works in them and does so for his good pleasure, and that the church is to live as lights in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation as they hold on to and hold out the gospel of Jesus Christ not grumbling and complaining against God in our trials and circumstances, but being joyful, obedient servants of our Savior. Paul tells the church 
They are to live this way and think this way, even if his life is taken from him because of the gospel. He rejoices in it. And they should also rejoice in it with him. And it is after this that we come to our text for today, where Paul again shows his shepherd's heart for the caring of the church in Philippi. Chapter 2 of Philippians ends with Paul talking about two men who are very dear to him and to the church in Philippi. One of these men is Timothy, and the other is Epaphroditus. For, uh, for today, we'll be focusing primarily on Paul's comments about Timothy, uh, but briefly I want to remind you a little bit about who Epaphroditus is, just for the sake of, of context here. Epaphroditus is actually a member of the Philippian church that Paul's writing to. That church sent Epaphroditus as their representative, their messenger, their minister to Paul's needs as he's in prison. Um, they cherished Paul, and they sent him uh, as their minister to meet those needs, of course, with the desire of him coming back and reporting back to them. So Epaphroditus goes to Paul with the word from the church. This is how the church would let Paul know about their own struggles and problems within the church and to let him know how much they love him and support him in the work of the gospel. So the book of Philippians is Paul's letter of response back to them. And some of what is in this letter is Paul expressing his affection for the church at Philippi, and some is Paul addressing specific problems they're having, such as fear, uh, anxiety, quarreling, and false teaching that is causing confusion in the church. And Epaphroditus will be the first one that Paul sends back to the church because he thought it necessary. That way, not only do they have this letter from Paul, but they have Epaphroditus back safely in the congregation. So as they read this letter from Paul, Epaphroditus is back with them, and Timothy is still with Paul. And the letter explains to them that Paul's next plan is to send Timothy to them. We'll learn more about Epaphroditus in the next sermon. Uh, but for today, there are a couple of questions I want us to ask and answer. First, why is it that Paul wants to send someone else? What is wrong with just a letter? Second, why is it that Paul specifically wants to send Timothy? What is so special about Timothy? The answer to these questions will give us a look at what God has done for the building up and maturing of the church and also what the church should see as valuable for those purposes. So the first question to ask, why does Paul want to send someone to the church? And look back in Philippians 2, verses 19 and 20. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So the quick answer to the question is because Paul is concerned for the welfare of the church. Paul cares for this congregation of believers that have come to faith in Christ through his preaching of the gospel. And there are two main reasons why he's concerned for their welfare. One reason is that it is his responsibility to the church as an elder to care 
for the church is the role and responsibility of any man holding the office of elder or overseer. It is not odd for Paul to feel a responsibility for the welfare of the church, a weight on his shoulders for the spiritual well-being of these believers. Even though the church does have overseers and deacons, as mentioned in verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul has even more responsibility toward them and feels that weight as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Scripture most often uses the terms elder, overseer, or shepherd, where we tend to exchange those for the word pastor, which does come from a Latin word meaning shepherd. But biblically speaking, what we call pastor, which is not bad, is uh, the scripture calls an elder or overseer or shepherd, and sometimes a bishop, depending on your translation uh, or the context. The point is, in scripture, we see the office of elder when men have the responsibility to be an overseer. They are also called shepherds who have the responsibility of shepherding the flock. This is the function, the solemn responsibility given to the elder or overseer, or in our context, the pastor. Scripturally speaking, there is a plurality of elders overseeing the church. For these men to not be concerned with the welfare of the church is a disqualifier for being an elder. Along with several other qualifications that are found in Scripture, this is such serious responsibility because the church does not belong to elders or pastors or, for that matter, even to the sheep. The church belongs to the head, Jesus Christ. That is why Paul tells Timothy, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The church has been entrusted to these men by God's design. And for them to not be concerned with the welfare of the church is to be disqualified from the office. Or worse, to lead the flock away from Christ, either by their own apathy or with false teaching or just plain giving the flock over to the wolves waiting to devour them. So take your Bibles, if you would. Turn to the book of Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And we'll look <coughs> here at verses 28 through 31. While you're turning there, I'll remind you that in this passage, Paul has called the elders from the church in Ephesus together to come meet with him uh, before he leaves for Jerusalem. He has uh, news for them that this will be the last time they see his face, which, of course, causes them great grief. But he has a message for them as elders of the church. And this is what he wants to leave them with. He doesn't tell them to make sure they figure out a way to make the church appealing to unbelievers or to create an atmosphere for the people in the church to be comfortable. He lays out for them the seriousness of the high calling of elders or overseers in the church of Christ. So Acts 20, verse 28 through 31, he tells them, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, 
which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. This is a heavy burden. It's a heavy burden on Paul. He feels that burden. It's, it's very serious. And genuine elders, overseers, or shepherds do not appoint themselves, but are given this responsibility by the Holy Spirit to care for the church of God. If that was not serious enough, Paul reminds them that this church was purchased with the blood of Christ. Not only do these men have the responsibility to care for the flock, but to pay careful attention to themselves. Why? Because the truth of the word of God is always under attack. And if he's not careful, the shepherd himself can be vulnerable to believing lies about what God says. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Verses 1 through 4, Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is why Paul is concerned for the welfare of the church. It is the church of Jesus Christ, bought with his own blood, and the church is and will be under attack because Satan and the world hates Jesus and therefore hate his church. The second reason for Paul to be concerned about the welfare of the church is the fact that specific needs have been brought to his attention from Epaphroditus. Again, Epaphroditus had brought news from the church regarding some specific concerns. And Paul wants to address those things beyond just sending them this letter. Paul would really want to be there in person. So if he had his way, he would be going to the church right away to shepherd them through the problems they're having. Problems such as fears and anxieties that they have because Paul is in prison. Doubts about why there's persecution and suffering. Tendency to selfishness division, and a lack of humility in the church, grumbling and disputing with God about their circumstances, causing the light of the gospel to be dimmed among unbelievers. They have been concerned for their beloved Epaphroditus, who was ill. There are Jews who are confusing them about Christians needing to be circumcised or not. There are, there are two women in the church who are quarreling and need to stop. Several things have been brought to Paul's attention 
that need to be addressed in a personal way, and Paul cannot be there. It grieved Paul to not be able to go there to oversee these matters for the good of the people and for the defense of the gospel of our Lord. When you think about it, this list is not much different than areas of sin that we struggle with in the church today. Perhaps with the exception of people trying to convince guys they need to be circumcised to be Christian. But their problem was really the same as our problem sometimes. We tend to forget that our hope is in the finished work of Christ on the cross. On the cross. We tend to forget that God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. We forget that God has promised to never leave us or forsake us. We perhaps don't fully understand what it means that by repentance and faith in Christ as our Savior, our sins are forgiven because Christ was punished on our behalf, paying the wage of death that we earned. And that he has caused us to be born again to eternal life because of his resurrection from the dead. We need remembrance. We need to ask God to restore to us the joy of our salvation. And the Philippian church needed to remember it as well. The thing is, what really needs attention among the church is our spiritual condition. Yes, there are many physical needs within the church, and sometimes they're very vital needs. They're not to be discounted at all. But more importantly, in the midst of physical suffering, when believers are spiritually grounded, anchored to the sound doctrine of the word of God, then we can say with Paul, like he said in Philippians 4.11, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. That secret is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Concern for the spiritual welfare of the church is the answer to the question of why Paul wanted to send someone to the church beyond just a letter. Now to our second question, which is why does Paul specifically want to send Timothy? Paul wants to go, but he can't. So someone needs to be sent, and the list of people that Paul trusts with this task is short. In fact, it is as short as it can get. One person, Timothy. If Paul cannot go, there's only one name that he would entrust with this responsibility. Before we answer the question, let's look at some of what we know about Timothy from the Scriptures. Timothy is a young man who has been with Paul for several years at this point. He's often referred to as being a young man, even by Paul, probably because of Paul's charge to Timothy when he writes his first letter and tells him not to let anyone despise him for his youth. We tend to focus on that, though we don't really know how old Timothy was. Um, he was probably in his teens or early 20s when he came to faith in Christ. Timothy was from Lystra, which is in the region of Galatia. 
Paul and Barnabas went there on their first missionary journey where Paul healed a crippled man and was later stoned and dragged outside the city by an angry mob after they had just finished worshiping him as a god, and he said, don't do that. They dragged him out, left him for dead, thinking he was dead, but he wasn't. Paul got up, went back into the city, and then left the next day. So Timothy probably came to faith in Christ during that first missionary visit to Lystra, and you can find that in Acts 14. By the time Paul came back to Lystra in Acts 16, this time with Silas, Timothy was already a disciple of Christ and well-spoken of by the rest of the brothers there. This is where we're told that Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him as they went about all the churches that they had preached the gospel in before. Before they went anywhere, Paul actually circumcised Timothy so as not to be a hindrance when they preached to the Jews, which was Paul's pattern of evangelism. This was not this circumcision was not about Paul endorsing circumcision as having some power to save or even any legitimate purpose at this point. He fought that battle thoroughly in his letter to the Galatians. It was because of Timothy's mother and father, his family circumstances, and how Paul wanted to go about sharing the gospel. So let's go look at, at Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, just to see a little bit about this second trip to Lystra where, where Paul meets Timothy. Acts 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So his mom was a Jewish lady who is now a believer in Christ, and his father was a Greek, which is about as much as we know about his father. But in the local community, the Jews knew Timothy's father, knew he was a Greek. And this would be a hindrance to the way that Paul shares the gospel as he would go to the synagogues. So Paul had him circumcised to remove this unnecessary distraction. So Paul certainly would not condone circumcision as having some sort of effect on salvation. We do, however, learn more about Timothy from Paul's other writings because he mentions Timothy a lot. This is a very special young man that Paul values more than any other disciple, it seems. When Timothy heard the gospel, he was ready to believe because his lifelong familiarity with the scriptures, his mother and grandmother having taught him the Old Testament scriptures his whole life, they all actually believed the gospel as it was preached by Paul. In 2 Timothy, we get a picture of the deep relationship between Paul and Timothy and how strongly Paul feels about Timothy. If you'll turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 
2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And this is Paul writing a letter to Timothy. And in his greeting, we see some, uh, some of the way that Paul addresses Timothy. And we can see how he feels about Timothy. 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And later in that same letter, in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul says to Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul says Timothy has a sincere faith and that he is a beloved child. We see in his first letter to Timothy, Paul calls Timothy uh, his true child in the faith. And elsewhere, he refers to him as his beloved and faithful child in the Lord, my fellow worker, and as his fellow servant of Christ Jesus. Paul has discipled Timothy for years by the time of his letter to the Philippian church. And Timothy has been following Paul's example of faithful leadership. Timothy is probably in his 30s uh, somewhere at the time of the writing of this letter to the Philippians. And he's been through many of Paul's hardships with him and is one of the few who have remained faithful. So what is the answer to our second question about why Timothy then? And Paul gives two main reasons. The first one being because he will be genuinely concerned for the welfare of the church. The second one is he has proven his worth as a servant of the gospel. First, if Paul cannot go himself, he is going to send the next best thing, and he's crystal clear that Timothy is the one for the job. After saying in verse 19 in our Philippians passage that he hopes to send Timothy Paul says in verse 20, For I have no one like him, which he then follows with his standard for the one he would send, which is, Who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare? The Greek word translated here as no one like him, or maybe in your Bible, like-minded, is only used in this verse in the New Testament. And it literally means equal-souled like a kindred spirit. And Paul is making the point that Timothy is to be trusted. He's telling this to the Philippian church. Timothy is to be trusted because they're of the same mind, meaning the mind of Christ. 
If Paul is not there and he sends Timothy, Timothy would shepherd the people in the same manner. Paul certainly had a genuine concern for the church and would not send anyone in his place unless this was the case with them. As Paul surveyed his options, he determined the only choice was Timothy. We can see what Paul means by a genuine concern because he gives the opposite example in verse 21 of our passage in Philippians. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. The they Paul is talking about are the opposite of what a true shepherd should be. What we really see here is what Paul holds up as a contrast to a truly genuine concern. Those who seek their own interests are not worthy or even capable of truly ministering to Christ's church. These are men who are self-centered, conceited, puffed up in their own importance, lording their position over the flock. They have impure motives, seeking to gain something worldly and temporary rather than godly and eternal. Paul may have been describing some of these men in chapter 1 when he said that there were those who were preaching Christ from envy and rivalry. Out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. There is no one who has ever been more genuinely concerned for the welfare of the church than Jesus Christ himself. He died for his church taking on the wrath of God on her behalf. His interests are what the church is founded on and built on. His interests are what sustains and sanctifies the church. So anyone entrusted with caring for the welfare of the church must have Christ's interests as their own. A true measure of concern on the part of a pastor or shepherd as an overseer is that the people... They are charged with caring for our spiritually maturing, growing in the knowledge of Jesus, and able to stand firm on the sound doctrine of the word. Paul explains this and how this works to the church at Ephesus. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, turn to the left in your Bible. One book. Ephesians 4. Verses 11 through 16. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness in deceitful schemes rather Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, 
from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it is builds up itself in love. Timothy can be trusted with doing this because of his genuine concern for their welfare, which is having the interests of Christ as his sole focus. He knows the stakes are high and that the church needs the ministry of the word of God from its leaders. The second reason Paul gives for specifically sending Timothy is that he has proven his worth as a servant of the gospel. And Paul reminds them of this in the next verse, but it is as if Paul tells them in the first couple of verses uh, that he's going to send Timothy uh, and then makes the point in the next verse that they already know this about Timothy and he shouldn't even have to tell them really, but he does anyway. Verse 22 in our Philippians passage He says, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. You know this about Timothy. Paul talks about Timothy's proven worth and then gives his reason why it is proven. It is that as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. From the beginning. Timothy has submitted himself to Paul's leadership in the work of the gospel. He set aside any personal plans that he might have had in place for his life, and he left his home for what promised to be a difficult road of persecution and suffering. But like Paul, Timothy valued the gospel and preaching Christ crucified above everything else. He followed in his spiritual father's footsteps. Timothy was there in the beginning of the church at Philippi. He saw all that Paul suffered in the towns and cities he would preach in, and he did not abandon Paul as others had. Timothy was trusted by Paul to shepherd other churches and to correct error where it needed to be. He had a godly character beyond his years, and he served with Paul until the end of Paul's life. And Paul here was not saying that Timothy served him as if he was an errand boy meeting Paul's personal needs, but that Timothy was a true partner, a fellow servant of Christ side by side for the furtherance of the gospel, whatever the cost. Timothy would join Paul in what he said in Acts 20, 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Timothy knew full well what to expect as a preacher of the gospel. From watching all that Paul endured and enduring some of it himself. Paul had sent him before, in fact. He trusted him before to send him to a church like a church, uh, the church in Corinth, because that church was really messed up and sinning in many ways. If you look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 
we can see this example. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 17. And here Paul has just finished scolding the Corinthians for their arrogance and pride, their comparisons about whose teacher is, is better than who else's teacher. They follow this person, they follow that person. Uh, it was a worldly, fleshly uh, uh, place, uh, lots of sinning going on, and that Paul really nails them over in chapter, chapters 3 and 4. And so our passage here in verse 14 sort of comes on the heels of Paul's strong rebuke of the people for this. And he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Whatever Paul would do, that's what Timothy would do. Timothy followed his example. So he can safely send Timothy in his place, knowing that he would care for the church. Timothy was one of the very few that Paul could always rely on because he knew the truth of the gospel. He knew the cost of following Christ, knew the cost of preaching the gospel, and by God's grace never turned away from the gospel or from Paul. Timothy's worth was not just proven by doing the work in good times, but his worth was proved by being tested and being found worthy. Following Paul's example in how he lived and how he taught. In verse 23, we see that Paul is satisfied with the reasons they've that he's given. So he says, I hope, therefore, or because of the reasons I just gave you, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Paul is still in Roman custody. And what he means is that he still doesn't know for sure what will happen with him. If he will live or die, if he'll be released or not. And he talked about this in chapter 1. But in chapter 1, he was convinced that it was God's will for him to live and that he would be released and go and see the Philippians again. So Paul's expectation is that he will be sending Timothy very soon. When he talks about hope here in our passage, I hope, therefore, to send him. It's not just a wishing on a star kind of hope. This is his deep desire to send Timothy, but... We also have to remember that it was Paul's desire to always submit to the will of the Lord. This is why in verse 19 he says that he hopes in the Lord to send Timothy to them soon. In other words, Lord willing, I will be able to send Timothy soon. And then he goes beyond that in verse 24 to indicate he is trusting that God will deliver him from custody and he, too, will be able to join them in person. It very well may be, however, that Timothy will go to the church 
bring Paul's letter, shepherd the people, and then bring news back to Paul about how things went. And we, Paul indicates this, that this is his belief about what will happen because he says uh, that he wants to be cheered by news of them. Meaning he's expecting Timothy to return with news of the church. Paul is desiring a mutual benefit from Timothy going to the church in Philippi. They will benefit from Timothy's shepherding and news of Paul, and then Timothy will return to Paul with a good report about the spiritual welfare of the church. This is what concerns a pastor or a shepherd. Paul exemplified this and is, is of highest importance, not because he decided it was so, but because it is the function of a shepherd in the church as put in place by God. So the church should also respond properly. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. By sending Timothy, Paul was caring for the welfare of the church in the best possible way. He sent them a man who would only point them to Christ and what his interests are. In other words, Paul sent them another shepherd to preach the word of the Lord and set an example for those believers. The church should highly value God's design for the function of the body under the oversight of godly men. Shepherds who care for the sheep and protect them from the wolves. We should never hold men up on a pedestal or worship them, but we should honor men who work hard at preaching and teaching. Godly shepherding is a difficult and serious calling. And we have been blessed in this church with a shepherd who cares for this church, the welfare of this church, who loves the word of God and who loves the church. He desires to rightly handle the word and who desires the spiritual maturity and welfare of this church. And it's not easy to find these days. So while no pastor is perfect, they are also members of the church who should benefit from the fellowship of the church and from the gifts of the believers as they have a difficult task to be a shepherd, to care for the welfare of the church, to have that on your shoulders is something that doesn't go away as it would be for parents to care for their children. That doesn't go away. And so we can praise God for giving us a pastor that is concerned about Christ's interests. And if that changes, we would have a problem. <laughs> Christ's interests are to be valued above all things. Let's stand and pray.
Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for being our God, for being our Savior. We thank you, Father, that Jesus himself is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And that his sheep hear his voice. We thank you for your plan of salvation. We thank you, Father, that it does not involve work on our part because we would fail. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ as our Savior. I pray, Father, you would continually draw our gaze back to the gospel to bring us remembrance of all that you've done for us in the face of the difficulties that we encounter or that we will not turn aside from you knowing that you will strengthen us each day. Thank you for this church, for this congregation. I pray, Father, that we would all continually mature and grow in your word and knowledge of Christ. Thank you, Father, that you've given us a, a pastor who strives for that, who's not an arrogant man, who can withstand godly criticism, Pray, Father, we would all continue to benefit from that. Help us all to love your church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we'll sing a final song. And we'll close. You spread out the skies over empty space.